History is not just about sources and contexts. It's also important to understand the way individuals make sense of their lives. Joanna Bornat is an expert in oral history. All families have stories about each other, and quite often the stories are what people know about their family history before they even go and look at the documents. It's the stories that give people hints and clues about where to go and where people lived and what houses they lived in, what jobs they had. So I think those family memories are at the heart of any family. I think it's all history. It's all versions of the past. I think there are certain things which we can establish. For example, you know, how many people died in the Irish potato famine, how many people, you know, went to their deaths in Nazi Germany. These figures have been argued about, but it's pretty clear what they are now. And just as there will be a figure or a date for most of the events in people's lives, but people may embroider them. They may tell those stories differently. They may interpret the past in ways which they feel more comfortable with. And I think it depends what kinds of family histories one wants to write, but those stories are in themselves of interest, I think. Mm. Sometimes in the end, those rather falsified and fanciful stories may be just as interesting and valuable as the absolute truth which the family historian might be desperate to find. And they, I think, are part of that family history. They're not something you'd want to put on one side because they explain so much about that family and also about the times people lived in, what was acceptable behaviour and what wasn't. And they may explain later events in families if people were believing certain myths and truths and other things followed. So I think they're part of the whole web of family history, that's what I'm saying. Organising large amounts of information can be difficult, from family tree to family history. Anna Davin. As I gather, I make notes, and I don't put very much on a given page, and it always has a caption, like a heading and maybe a subheading. And then I organise those. There's a very long period of organising the material. Ideally, of course, at the end of every day I would organise it, but that's not in my character. I organise it into files. So for the childhood work, for instance, I've got, oh, maybe 12 ring binders, and they have headings like paid work and unpaid work, and then under those there'll be lots and lots of mini-categories, so step cleaning. I've got examples of girls being employed to clean front steps, and they'll be in chronological order, from the mid-19th century onwards, or lighting fires, or childminding. So through collecting and categorising my different kinds of material from the many different sources, in the end, a chapter on work will write itself because I've got all these sections. A lot of the thought has gone into categorising the material, and then I can make the generalisations from the way that I've organised it, and I've got the examples all very readily to hand to bring in and enliven it. I like to use as many individuals' names and stories as I can, whatever source they're from, because I think that makes it much more interesting reading and the reader can imagine much better. I do think imagination's a very important part of history, whether you're writing it or reading it. it. It's what makes it fun. I'm a great enthusiast for history and I'm sure it is partly that you can enjoy reading about other people's lives and imagining them. Do you ever collect every single piece of evidence before you start writing, or do you start writing as you go along? Or I mostly collect it all before, although I, there, I may realise that there's a hole and go off and look for things to mm. fill it. What about the process of drafting and redrafting? Anna Davin. I love revising. The hardest thing for me is, is the first draft, 
once I've got something down, the bones of what I'm doing, then I love to play with it and enlarge it and revise. I'll often start my work each day if I'm in a writing phase by reading what I wrote the day before, and I may completely rewrite it, but it'll take less time to rewrite than it took to write in the first place. So then I've got time to go on again, and gradually the chapter will build itself up in that way. But I really enjoy revising and trying to cut out anything that's that's fuzzy or unnecessary to get it reading as clearly and sharply as possible without wasted words, without ambiguities, with lots of examples and so that it, it leaps off the page. How useful is chronology when structuring a life narrative? Miranda Carter. Chronology is very useful if you, you know, you've got a life and you have a, a series of facts. Just sort of writing yourself down a timeline with the main events is very useful and a very good way of starting to plan. You start with your chronology and then you make a plan. Peter White. I thought it should be chronological because it wasn't meant to be a preachy book. It wasn't meant to give people messages. It was meant to tell a story. One of the reviews said, Mr White doesn't tell us what it's like to be blind. Well, I didn't want to tell people what it was like to be blind. I don't think you can tell somebody what it... You, it might be an interesting artistic experiment, but I don't think anyone is ever going to know what it's like to be blind until they are blind. I wanted to tell people what had happened to me, not what it was like. I think that's quite a sort of pretentious idea, partly because it's not like the same for any two people everyone will experience it differently what I wanted to do was say what had happened to me what people's attitudes to it were and what my attitude to it was Lady Boothroyd it's quite important for the reader not to be going backwards and forwards and to try to go forwards and go through life but there were what was very difficult to write about and get it into a chronological order were my official visits overseas when I was speaker and the number of times that I spoke in various parliaments in the Central Europe and the what you call the emerging democracies. It was awfully difficult to get that in a form of chronological order, but I did it as best I could because when reading books myself, I don't want to be going backwards and forwards over different periods because you lose track of it all. Martin Amis, however, did not want to be bound by a strict chronology. When I deliberately sort of set out um, to not bow down to that, and I thought nothing would kill me more than to write the sentence I was born in Oxford on August 25th, 1949. So I felt I asserted the novelist's right to chop and change in time and to follow themes rather than... Um, chronology. Chronology, but and also the other great bonus it turns out is it means you can leave things out without people saying, "Hey, what about his divorce?" You know, mm. it gave me more freedom than a chronological frame would have done. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk/use.